anybody love Christmas music? A few of you? I love Christmas music. Every We have this pl- ongoing playlist that we add to every year when people apparently release five, six, seven Christmas albums every year. And uh, our, our Christmas playlist is quite long at this point. Uh, but we just turn it on and hit shuffle. And some stuff you, you, you know, you get things you hadn't heard in a long time. You get Bing Crosby coming right after the chipmunks. You know, so you never know what's coming up next. But it's all Christmassy and it's all good and we, we, we really enjoy it. Um, and our kids are very excited about Christmas. Anybody have kids who are very excited about Christmas? Anybody, any adult very excited about Christmas? There we go. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we get excited about Christmas, and it brings up memories and all kinds of things. And I can remember as a kid, uh, there's one thing as a kid I always asked for every Christmas. Uh, uh, every single Christmas. I wrote it on my Santa letter. I, 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 I asked my parents. I asked my grandparents in secret so my parents wouldn't know. I always, every Christmas I asked for a Nintendo. And it was a rule though mom had that we were not going to have that in the house because I would spend all my time on it. And she was right. Uh, she was very wise in that. Um, knowing how I would be and obviously how kids are today as well. Uh, but you know, you can, like we have a, a game system in our house, but we have very strict limitations on how much they can use. And when the timer goes off, your time is up. You better have saved your game or it's gone. Uh, but, um, and so I asked for every Christmas and I, n- I never got it. Every Christmas I'd ask for it, didn't get it. Asked for it, didn't get it. Asked for it, didn't get it. Every single Christmas, every single birthday. That was the number one thing on my list every single time. And then finally, I still remember the time because uh, having asked for it then for 18 years, the year uh, when I was 18 at Christmas, several other gaming systems had come out at that point. Um, But this was, I I have it right here actually. Uh, I got this from Santa that year. Does anybody know what this is? It's a Nintendo 64. Yes. Nintendo 64 with GoldenEye. Anybody remember GoldenEye? It was the, yeah, thank you. All right. Yes, with actually this, I'm not going to lose this because it has all of the cheats unlocked. So it's got like, you know, big head mode and paintball mode and unlimited ammo mode. And anyway, uh, if, if you knew GoldenEye, you know all this stuff. But uh, I got this for that Christmas. And man, I was so, I was through the roof. Even though I knew several of the gaming systems have come out, it wasn't the latest one. It, 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 it uh, came from GameStop. You know, it was a, a, pre, you know, a pre-owned deal, but I didn't care. 18 years of anticipation, and it came that year under the tree. Man, I was excited. And my reaction showed it because I, I had resigned myself at that point. I just put on my list, it's not going to happen. It's just one of those deals, never going to happen, not going to go, it's, it's never going to come. Uh, but it came, and man, I was ecstatic when that happened. And then, you know, years later, you get married, and you start having kids, and uh, I had something on my Christmas list that I figured was not going to happen, because at the time, it was quite expensive, and uh, uh, not as expensive anymore, because technology has advanced quite a bit. It was pre-iPad, and so technology is vastly different now than it was then. Um... But I remember asking for this thing, because I, I love to read and love books, and this thing was cool at the time. It were, there were new uh, e-readers out. Anybody remember e-readers? Anybody? You got some? Well, I had asked for one. 
that was coming out that had a little screen at the bottom that you could scroll through your, your whole library of books. And I thought, number one, it's going to be impossible to get because it hadn't even come out yet and it was already sold out. And number two, it was quite expensive. And I was like, there's no way anybody's going to buy this for me. It's just, yeah. But I'm going to put it there because I, I want it. It's going to be good. And uh, one of my, some of my primary love languages, uh, it, it, I don't know if you've ever read Love Languages, the book. Uh, I have my own theory about love languages that they vary depending on who is giving the love. You know, you have primary love languages for your spouse, and primary love languages for your, from your kids or from some random person on the road. Like if your love, primary love language is touch, you don't want some random dude at Walmart touching you. You know, that's not the way love languages work. But I know my primary love language, you know, with, uh, in my house is touch and right behind it is gifts. Um, and this was the gift I opened. And I, I, st I can remember sitting in our living room and opening this gift on that Christmas morning and, and just being shocked. I mean, my jaw dropped open that Katie had bought this for me. Um, I should have actually, I should have got, I about the first gift you ever bought me, Katie, when we were dating. Uh, it was a uh, Greek reference book, and it cost $75, and I couldn't believe somebody spent $75 on me. Uh, it's on my shelf, actually. It, it's like 3,000 pages. But she, it's still right here. It's still in low power mode. I don't know. How, I haven't charged this thing in about a year. But I, this is amazing battery technology. I don't know how that works. But, uh, but I, I, can, I still keep it because it, 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 it was such a memory for me, and my reaction, you know, gave that response. Oh, I can't. What? kind of a deal. But we've all been in those scenarios, whether we're the giver or the receiver, where we're anticipating the, the nookie reader, or we're anticipating the N64, and we open the package, <laughs> and it sucks. And again, you get that reaction of, oh, socks. Great. Now that I'm an adult, socks are actually the number one item on my list. Uh, but as a kid, you open it, you're like, socks. You ever had that reaction from somebody? I'm, I mean, surely come Christmas morning, somebody's going to be like that. Or if you go online and watch the Dude Perfect Christmas stereotypes, oh, a belt. And grandma says, you're in a transition year. You know, you, it's, you need it. And so you're like, oh, socks. And the reaction is not quite what you anticipate because one of the greatest things about Christmas is giving it and seeing the reaction and, and, and experiencing that. And then when they give you that, oh, socks, it's not quite what you wanted, right? Because how you respond matters. How you respond matters both to the, get, the person who gave you the thing, but also to everyone else who's around you and observing your reaction. How you respond matters in a very good way. How you respond, I'm going to move to that because it's going to distract some of you. The whole, uh, my son Liam came with me to early to church this morning, and we were pulling this stuff out, and he asked if we could bring that Nintendo home. And I thought, well, I don't even know if we have the hookups for that anymore. <laughs> I've got to figure that out. Uh, but how you respond matters. And we're going to look today, in, in it's uh, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, uh, it's on page 807, if you're going to use a Bible on the pew rack there, page 807. Uh, it'll also be on the screen. If you're watching online, it'll be right below me. But Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at three different reactions to the coming of Jesus. You know, these last few weeks, we've been looking at the joy that comes in the lives of people because Jesus came into their lives, from Joseph to Mary to last week, we looked at Simeon and Anna, and Jesus, the baby, coming into their lives completely transformed it and, and brought this phenomenal joy. 
Well, in these reactions that we're going to look at today, the, these three are vastly different in how they respond to the entrance of Jesus into their lives. So Matthew chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So wise men from the east came. And they're anticipating, we saw his star in the east. Now, what's interesting about that, I mean, we believe it's a literal star in the skies from, from what we believe and the words they use. But uh, there was actually a prophecy from Old Testament scripture from a guy who was not a very good guy, but he was a prophet. And he prophesied that a star would come out of Israel to be king. Uh, and so this fulfillment here, both literal and figurative, this star, um, is coming out of Israel to be king. Now, I also want you to notice something. Uh, this is in the days of Herod the king. And they enter Jerusalem, these wise men, these magi, and they're asking everybody, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, at this particular time, Herod the king is a king who has been appointed by Rome to be king over this region. But notice I said Herod's been appointed to be king. He's been appointed by the government to be the ruler of the area. And now these guys from the east with a very big entourage, very wealthy, very influential guys come in the city, and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So someone who has a better claim to the throne than Herod is now being born. And Herod, who this is Herod the Great, is a phenomenally paranoid man. He would kill off some of his wives and some of his children in anticipation that they were going to kill him. He did a preemptive strike on his favorite children, on his favorite wife. It was a big deal that he had them executed because he was afraid they were plotting to kill him. Whether they were or not, we don't really know, but he would kill them. Caesar, actually hearing of all this, said of Herod, I would rather be one of uh, his dogs than one of his family members because he's going to kill them off because he was so paranoid. And so this is the guy who hears that someone has been born king of the Jews, and he's going to begin to fear for his right to the throne. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, naturally. And all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so Herod's first reaction is to bring in all the Jewish Bible people who know Scripture and ask them, where is the Christ supposed to be born? Where is the Messiah? Where is the Son of God supposed to be born? And he's trying to gather as much information as he can. Now look at verse 5. So they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, who are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so the chief priests and scribes, these are the, you know, the chief priests are the guys who are, who are in charge, the most important. The scribes are the ones who are supposed to know Scripture the best. And Herod brings them in and, and says, tell me where he's supposed to be. And they immediately pop off on this Scripture. I mean, it's a, to them, this is a famous prophecy about the coming Messiah. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they're in Jerusalem. Bethlehem is five miles away. I mean, it's just next door. It's right down the road. And uh, they say is, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But notice these scribes and Pharisees, uh, the, these chief priests and scribes. It's easy to gloss over this as just something quick and move on to Herod and the wise men type of deal. But look at these guys. They know all about the coming Messiah. But they, they know and they spout off what they know. But how do they respond? This is the only thing we hear from them. They don't come back into the story. 
they respond to, to the knowledge of the Messiah coming, Jesus coming. They respond with inaction. They don't do anything. They knew the Scripture, but they didn't allow the Scripture to change them. They were only five miles from the Messiah, something they would have been taught in, in, in Hebrew school growing up as kids and then been taught in, in priest school, in scribe school about the coming Messiah. And here he is, after thousands of years, he's arrived, and the announcement has come. He's supposed to be in Bethlehem, five miles down the road, and they don't even leave their houses. If, if I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking at least they should have been curious. Let's just go and see what's going on. But they don't even do that. They stay where they are and don't leave. They don't allow their knowledge to change what they are going to do, the decisions they are going to make. They had grown accustomed to their authority, to the, you know, their personally perceived importance. Everybody thought they were important, and they didn't want to go see some Messiah who was potentially going to remove their importance, their, their authority. And they allowed that to infect them so much so that when God sends his son, puts a sign in the stars, and sends, a, sends messengers from afar, they refuse to go and investigate. You see, because scriptural knowledge means nothing if it doesn't influence your behavior. Scriptural knowledge means nothing if it doesn't influence your behavior. You can know scripture forward and backward all day long. You could have memorized the entire Old Testament. means nothing if it doesn't change your life. You could know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John backwards and forwards. You could have memorized Linus's speech in Charlie Brown Christmas. doesn't matter if you don't believe in Jesus. If he doesn't change you, then it doesn't mean anything. If it doesn't influence you, it doesn't mean anything. It's just knowledge. We have What we do then is we just relegate this life-changing message to any other knowledge that we have in our head. Like, you stick your finger in a socket, you're going to get shocked. Jesus is Son of God. And we put, put file that away on the same shelf in our brain. But it's different. It's different. This is truth that will change everyone. And these, the, these chief priests and scribes knew it, but it didn't change them. And so we can. it's easy to see then, you know, 30 years later, when Jesus comes on the scene and starts doing miracles and all, this, all the things he was doing, it's easy to see how they were opposed to him then. They were opposed to him when he was born because they didn't even go and, and try to find him in Bethlehem. They didn't even go and think. It blows my mind that not even one of them would say, well, shouldn't we send, like, the priestly intern at least to Bethlehem and, and just see what's going on? I mean, just check it out. I mean, possibly. It could be the one or, you know, just some impossible. Well, we got to know, but they didn't even do that. They didn't do anything. They responded with inaction. Scriptural knowledge means nothing if it doesn't influence your behavior. So that's one response, the chief priests and scribes. They did nothing. Let's look at this, another response here, verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now, we're going to find out later the star appeared about two years before this. So they saw it, they figured out what it was, and they traveled over the course of two years. Uh, verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So this is what Herod is saying. Now we know Herod's paranoid, that Herod murders people left and right, he murders like 10 people before breakfast. And this is what he says to the wise men, go and search and find him. 
and then come and tell me because I want to come and worship him. Now, anybody who knows the story or even just in, from context clues up to this point, you can say, well, Herod's obviously lying to these guys, but they didn't pick up on that yet. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. How did that happen? I have no idea, <laughs> but God can do it. God can do it. God created the stars. God put them in order. God set them in motion. Of course God can do something like this. And how it's possible, well, God did it. The same thing when God came to Mary and said, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And she says, how? And he says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to do it. Don't worry about anything else. That's the explanation for that verse. God did it. Uh, and so they go. Wherever the star stops, they go there. Uh, verse 10. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So, I mean, this is an overabundance of joy. This is explosive joy. This is giddy old man dancing in the road joy. This is excitement here. Verse 11. And going into the house. Now, that's an important phrase. This is into the house. So, remember, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem because there was a census going on. And in this particular region at this time, they would have to, in order to fulfill the census, they would have to go to their ancestral home and fill out their census information. And so they did, and they ended up staying there. And so they bought a house, and they're staying, or, or rented a house, or whatever, but they're living in a house, and they've been there for a couple years. And, uh, and, and the wise men show up at the house, and you got Mary there, you got Jesus there. Uh, verse, let's just start at verse 11 again. And going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, if, you, if you're Mary, what are you thinking at this point? Like, three very important men who are very well-dressed, who have a huge entourage, who are all very well-dressed, who are carrying uh, probably camels and horses and all kinds of stuff, and uh, show up at your door, and you're a lowly carpenter's wife, and y'all don't have a whole lot of money, and these guys walk in, are you thinking, like, I need to get out the good towels real quick? <laughs> like, what are you thinking? And so Mary's there, and they come in, and they fall down, which you did not do in that day. It showed a sign of, I am less than you. They, these very important men fall down and worship this two-year-old child, okay? And have you ever had a two-year-old in your house? You ever worship that two-year-old? Don't. I guarantee you, if you have, that has never crossed your mind one second. <laughs> but Jesus was different. Jesus was incredibly different. He was Messiah from the moment he was inside Mary. He's been Messiah the whole time. He didn't develop into the Messiah. He didn't become Messiah later. He didn't, you know, grow his God powers. He was God from the moment he entered Mary. He'd already been God because John chapter 1 tells us that he was there in the creation of the world. He'd been God the whole time. And so there he is, God, child, and they fall down and they worshiped him. Uh, verse, the rest of verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So they open these treasure boxes, and they've got gold and frankincense and myrrh in there. And then they have a dream after worshiping Jesus, don't go back to Herod. Now, if the dream said because Herod's a bad dude, we don't know. It just The dream just said don't go to Herod, so they didn't. So look at verse 13. And when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. 
and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And so he, Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, God says, Go to Egypt. And so he grabs Mary and grabs Jesus, and they flee to Egypt. Now look at verse 16. Let's, let's jump down to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping a loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Herod, and then the next verse, Herod dies. Um, and Joseph brings Mary and Jesus back, and they settle in a town of Nazareth. But Herod has the Son of God come into his region, five miles down the road. He doesn't respond with inaction like the Pharisees, or the, the chief priests and the scribes, who were, should have responded with action. Herod responded with action, but bad action. Herod responded, uh, honestly, with pride. With pride within him. And that pride came out in these different forms with fear and deception and manipulation and murder. That's how he responded with his pride. You see, a lot of times, our responses to other people though they may, may be emotional, though they may be filled with fear, a lot of the time, at the base root of it, there's pride there. Pride, the original sin. Pride that led Satan to re, re, uh, rebel against God. Pride was in Herod's heart. He felt that Jesus, the Son of God, was going to remove possibly some of the control that Herod had accumulated for himself, some of the uh, authority that he had. And so he responded with all of these terrible things, with this fear that led to murder of every male child who was two years old and under. I know that's hard for us to contemplate being in America in 2020. But these kings here had absolute power to do whatever they wanted as long as they continued to, to pledge allegiance to Caesar and continue to give Caesar tax money. He didn't care what they did. And so Herod sends this battalion to Bethlehem, and they kill all these baby boys, weeping in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary and Jesus had escaped. And Herod responded with pride, terrible, terrible pride. And what pride can do in each of our lives, pride can kill God's will in your life. Ultimately, that's not going to kill. God's going to get his will accomplished, but he may not use you in the process. His will will be accomplished with or without you. He doesn't need you to do it. He wants to use you to accomplish his will, absolutely. But if we allow pride to seep within us, then we're going to be removed from God's will, and we're going to be following our own will down this, this road of pride. Pride can kill God's will in you every single day. Every single day, pride will eliminate what God wants for you to do that day. However the pride manifests itself, however it comes out, whether it's like one of these areas that, that, that uh, Herod had, fear and deception, manipulation, hopefully not murder, but even in that, you can still find redemption through Jesus if you pursue Jesus. I mean, you ask the question, could Herod have gotten saved after all of this terrible things, these terrible things? Yes. Yes. Because Jesus' death was powerful enough to cover even all of these sins. 
Jesus' death is powerful to cover every sin, every, irregardless of the total amount. His, that just shows how much greater he is than us. His one death could cover all of those sins. So Herod, but he refused to believe as far as we know. He was all about himself, all about himself, all about this pride. And so we see the chief priests and the scribes responded with inaction. Herod responded with pride. But the wise men, the wise men, it's very interesting, these guys, magi. Magi, actually, the word, from what we can tell in the Scripture, actually dates all the way back to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel uses that word magi. Magi was appointed in the kingdom as the chief magi. And an interesting point, as chief magi, he's given a prophecy by God about the coming Messiah. So quite possibly, as chief magi, having received a prophecy about the coming Messiah, he could have told his other magi about this, pro- this, this coming Messiah, and they could have passed that on for generations, down to even up to these guys. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that word is used in Scripture more than just here. And so these magi show up, these wise men show up. They went way out of their way <laughs> to offer things of great value to Jesus. They went way out of their way. I mean, not just they didn't, they were on their way to somewhere else and they happened to stop by Bethlehem. They went, I mean, they went thousands of miles, quite possibly, out of their way to pursue Jesus, traveling for uh, uh, months and months, possibly years, to get here. They demonstrated their value for Jesus by this journey they took. And they brought these incredible gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh, kingly gifts. Gifts that were quite possibly used to, to finance Joseph and Mary and Jesus' trip to Egypt and back. And they brought them. It would have cost them something. It would have been a sacrifice to bring these things, to make this journey, to pay for the journey, to bring the gifts to Jesus. And they did this because they understood who Jesus was. They understood who Jesus was, and they responded in worship with selfless gifts of great value fit for a king. They understood this. It wasn't just simple knowledge of Jesus that set their life on this course. Knowing who Jesus was, understanding who Jesus was, changed the course of their future. And so value for the king is revealed by what you bring. The value that you have for the king is revealed by the value or, or by the gift that you bring to the king. By the gift, whether it's a physical gift, a financial gift, a gift of your time, an investment uh, of what you have. I mean, if you were to do a, 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 an audit of your life and the time that you have spent over the last 30 days, how much of that time have you given to Jesus? If you were to do an audit of your finances over the last 30 days, how much have you given to Jesus? I'm not asking for an answer. I'm just letting that sit on you for a second. Value for the king is revealed by what you bring, by what you bring to him, by what you offer to him. Uh, even your mental energy, what you allow to to. <laughs> sit in your mind, what you allow your mind to process on while you're watching a Hallmark movie, what are you really thinking about? And maybe you are thinking about the story you've seen 15,000 times. Maybe it's, you know, I like Hallmark movies, but maybe you allow your mind to wander because you've seen the story before, and what are you really thinking about in that moment? 
What's occupying that thought process there? Value for the king is revealed by what you bring to him. Like the little drummer boy, what did he bring? All he had was a skill to play a drum, and he brought it. What do you bring to the king? What do you bring to the king in your time, in, in what you have to offer? What do you bring to him? I mean, this week in the lead up to Christmas, there's a lot, you know, you got to think about in anticipation to Christmas or seeing family possibly that you're going to see and you haven't seen for a while and things, conversations, what are they going to say? And you're trying to pre-plan the conversation so it doesn't go down the road. You don't want it to go down and get to the topic you don't want to get to because that will make Christmas just weird and awkward. And so you try to figure out, okay, how can I detour the conversation and not go there so we don't ruin Christmas for everybody and we don't get the picture that we want so we can remember how great Christmas was. Value for the king is revealed by what you bring. And these wise men valued the king greatly. But you know, what helps us understand something is if we truly understand Jesus and how much Jesus values us, then the value we have for Jesus would be in response to that. There would be no cap to how much we value Jesus when we begin to understand how much he values us. Because God valued us so much, so what did he bring? He brought his son. God valued you so much in your sin, in your selfishness, even knowing the thing you said in the car to your family on the way to church this morning. Or if you're watching online, you just told your kids something not very nice, but God brought you Jesus anyway. He values you that much. Irregardless of our actions and the things we do, he brought us Jesus. And Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead so that we can spend eternity with God so that all our sins would be forgiven. God gave us what was of greatest value. He didn't give us leftovers. He didn't give us what was left over after he did everything else. He didn't give us any of that. He, he didn't give us, you know, something at the last second. He didn't want run, you know, to, to, to Walmart uh, clearance aisle to get a special gift for us on Christmas Eve because, you know, we forgot or he forgot. He, he planned it from the beginning. He told the very first pe people, Adam and Eve, that this moment was going to happen. He planned it from the beginning that Jesus was going to come. For you, for me, for every single person. He planned it from the beginning. That's how much he values you. You see, God considers you of the highest possible value. You may have people in your life who said you're not very valuable who have said some very mean things to you that make you feel not very valued. They may say, I love you, and then cut you down 15 different times. And you're not hearing the I love you, you're just hearing the cut downs. And you may have heard that a lot. Or maybe somebody told you that 20 years ago, and it's still sitting in the back of your mind, and you can't let it go. Then hear it now. Hear it now. God considers you of the highest possible value. And that's the very reason he sent Jesus to die. Because he knew you needed it. You needed it. And that's, the very, that's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus came. It was God's gift to us, giving us Jesus. Giving us, even when we respond in pride, like Herod, even when we, we respond with inaction, when we know what we should do, but we don't do what we know we should do because of Scripture, when we don't do it, we respond with inaction, we respond with pride, he still sent Jesus knowing that was going to happen. Knowing you were going to lose your cool. Knowing you were going to operate in bitterness for a decade. He knew that and sent Jesus anyway. Because he considers you worth it. 
You're worth it. And he sent Jesus, and Jesus came, and Jesus died for you. Jesus also died for that person in your family, yet friend, that person you see on Facebook, who you may think is not worth very much because of the decisions they've made. Doesn't matter what you think. Jesus thinks they're worth it, and he sent Jesus to die. God sent Jesus to die for that person because (laughs) your opinion of somebody else does not determine God's opinion of them at all, at all. You may think somebody voted a certain way, and so you don't think very highly of that person because they voted for that, that person to be in the White House, and they don't know what they're doing, and they're crazy, and they want everybody to die, and they want the world to go to hell in a handbasket because they voted for so-and-so. doesn't matter what you think. Jesus sent, or God sent Jesus to die for Republicans just the same as he sent Jesus to die for Democrats. There's not going to be a Republican street in heaven or a Democrat street in heaven. There's going to be a Jesus street. So that's not going to last into eternity. So let's get over that. What's going to last into eternity is whether or not you know Jesus. Whether or not your family come Friday when you're hanging out or or, or Thursday night when you have dinner with them or or Saturday when you do Christmas with them or Sunday when you do Christmas with them. What's going to matter is if everyone in that room knows Jesus. Not if you get a picture where everybody's looking or smiling or the kids aren't running off or nobody's kicking anybody else in the face. Or the kids playing with the box instead of the toy. That doesn't matter. What matters is whether or not they know Jesus. That's all that matters. Doesn't matter if the kid likes the Nintendo. What matters is does that kid know Jesus? That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. It's all about Jesus. All irregardless of how tall the present stack is Friday morning. The, the tree could be empty. But if you got Jesus in your house, you got everything. Everything. Because it's all about Jesus. So if you don't believe in Jesus, right, this is your chance right now. Believe in Jesus. He came to this earth. He was given by God, the greatest Christmas gift of all time, given by God so that our sins could be forgiven. My sins would be forgiven. And he died for that. And he rose from the dead so that I can live after I die. That death is not the end for me. Heaven is is where I will end up because I believe in Jesus. He died and he rose. And so if that's you, if you need to believe that now, whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, believe in Jesus now. Don't hesitate. Don't let this moment pass. Believe in Jesus here and now.